You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week. We hope the wait is over. It's Super Bowl week, and uh, we'll be talking about that very shortly. We've got a couple of guests. We'll talk about some coaching hires, comings, goings, and then for the end of the day, we will pick the game. But uh, right off the bat, Super Bowl 56, here we go, Alex. Uh, What storyline do you you feel that uh, we should be looking at? I think it's going to come down to whether the Bengals front offensive line can protect Joe Burrow because against the Tennessee Titans the Bengals failed miserably but they still won the game I mean Burrow was what like sacked you know nine times he was knocked down almost on every play but against the Chiefs they did a good job protecting him I mean they kept them upright especially in the second half when it matters. I think the Bengals have to be able to run the football with Mixon because I mean they can't expect to just throw it all over the yard. The Rams secondary is good. Ramsey is going to be on Jamar Chase. I'm not sure if Chase is going to catch a lot of balls. Running the ball and trying to keep that defensive line at bay. I mean, Aaron Donald is going to be a monster, and I'm not sure the Bengals can handle him even when they double team him. So that's going to be the key, the, the trenches. I mean, that's what I'm looking at. The Bengals can pull this off if the offensive line keeps Joe Burrow upright, but I'm not sure they will. The Rams' front, obviously, is a hell of a lot different than the Chiefs' front. Well, here's the thing. I mean, Chris Jones, you say what you will, but he does not have a sack in all the postseason games he's played in. Now, he had Joe wrapped up, it looked like, but he let him go. But I I guess my point is, between Donald and Miller and just the entire group, they are a heck of a lot more of a handful. So, Yes, Cincinnati should run the ball a little bit more, but they've become very adept at the screen game. Not that they run a ton of them, but it seems like when they do, whether it's the the bubbles to the the receivers or Pirine or Mixon or whoever, whatever back is in the game, they've been hitting those pretty good. So that that's one thing that I would look for some some short passes that kind of get things going. You know, they'll take their shots over the top. You mentioned Ramsey, and yeah, I think they may come out and just basically what they normally do defensively where Ramsey might move around a little bit and see kind of where things go but if Chase all of a sudden starts making some plays maybe then they do shift him over and say okay hey you take that guy but still you got Higgins and Boyd that you know obviously T Higgins stepped up big in the AFC championship game and those opportunities are going to come those guys are going to have to stand up So, yeah, I agree with you completely as far as that goes. The tight ends, I think, for both teams, I think is going to be a key because, you know, there's some question whether Higby plays, whether Uzama plays. There's probably a better chance that Higby has a chance to play than Uzama coming off the uh, MCL sprain. I think those two guys, you know, additional pass catchers are going to be big in this game. And then as far as the running game goes, are the Rams going to kind of stick Stick with it, even if it's not, you know, busting big plays, whether it's Akers or Michelle or, you know, whoever's in the backfield. Those two guys obviously are going to get the lion's share. They're the big ones. Daryl Henderson has a chance to be back for this game, too. I'll be interested to see if McVeigh is going to 
not feel so compelled to, to get, you know, Stafford, the big stage, this is why we made the trade, you know, he's played brilliantly in the playoffs, you know, are they going to go a little too overboard showing everybody how brilliant he's played? So I don't know. I mean, do you feel that McVay's got that patience in him to stick with the run game? I don't think so. I think he's looking at his wide receiver core and he's saying, I've got OBJ, I've got Van Jefferson, I've got Cooper Cup. I don't think the Bengals can guard my guys. I don't think they can cover them. So I think he's going to take advantage of that early. And I think the only way the Bengals can keep up on the defensive front, they won't be able to stay with those wide receivers long. The Bengals have to blitz. I mean, you have to bring pressure against Stafford. When you do, he panics. He's not the most mobile quarterback. He's going to make those mistakes. The Bengals have to take chances. They can't, like, blitz all the time. They can't do it like, you know, sending everybody out there like the Ravens usually did with their uh, former defensive coordinator. But they have to take their spots. Like, blitz at the most. Like, take it maybe on first down. Let Stafford, you know, get in those second and long, you know, situations. Stafford panics when pressure is in his face. He can't do anything with his feet. And I think that's what the Bengals have to do. They have to take... Make sure that they force some turnovers because if they drop back like they did against Mahomes, eight guys, I don't think that they're going to be able to to stay with that game plan for long because I think OBJ and Cooper Cup are just going to pick that secondary apart. Well, I think the dropping eight thing that was—I mean—that spe- was specific to the Chiefs because they knew or they had a good feeling that they're a little too arrogant as far as what they do. This is what we do, and they fell into that trap again. So I guess that goes to my question as far as McVeigh is concerned, because if they do try that with the Rams, you know, if the Rams are a little bit more patient with the run game. You know, they're going to have to force them out of that type of defense. So I don't know that they go to that. They might try it a few times and see again to see if uh, McVeigh said, hey, okay, fine, you're going to do this. We're just going to jam it down your throat until you have to bring more guys up in the box. So we'll see. I mean, it's always that cat and mouse. You got to be able to, to adjust on the fly and it has to come in game. Now, both these teams have, have had some issues with scoring droughts during the course of the year. Obviously, you know, the Rams, that whole first half against San Francisco, but then they kind of got it going in the second half. Cincinnati, you know, again, I mean, the, the Raiders were on the doorstep several times. They just couldn't get in. Tennessee, giving the ball away, even though, as we mentioned, the pass rush was getting there and they had issues scoring. So, again, which team's going to be able to, to overcome that and, again, not get too panicky in a situation where it's a long game? You can't just say, okay, we're just going to go bombs away. We got to score quick because we're not scoring. That's kind of what I'm looking for, too. And then, as far as special teams goes, number two, Evan McPherson. I mean, what a fine this dude's been. I mean, you don't want to have to rely on your kicker, but my goodness, the guy's got ice water in his veins. Uh, Gay had a great year, but I still come back to that 47-yard field goal in Tampa with, yeah, the weather conditions weren't awful, and he comes up short. Something, you know, did he did he scuff the, the turf? I mean, what happened on that play? But that just kind of sticks in my head. And like, if that's kind of in the narrative, if that can happen, you know, it's just kind of a scary thing. But McPherson, I think, has the, has the edge on him there, even though he's a rookie. Uh, we've got a couple of running backs today. Let's bring the first one in now. 
He's a running back for the Villanova Wildcats in Pride of the Bronx, New York. Number one, Justin Covington. Justin, welcome. Pros like us. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing all right. Right off the top, uh, your head coach calls you one of the best human beings and leaders he's ever been around. What does that tell you about your time and your impact at Villanova? Um, I think overall it's been great. Um, and I think I just tried to ultimately be the best you know, football player and I think ultimately the best person I could as well. You know, I think in the world like there's a lot of you know great athletes and great football players, but um, it's more important to be a good human being and the effect you have on others last a lot longer than what you do on this field. Can you think of any, I guess, specific examples that he might be referring to? I mean, some of it could do with me being in nursing school um, and having clinical. I mean, nothing really specific. I mean, I guess, I mean, maybe just over time, but definitely just continue to just be me. So speaking of leadership, Justin, what does leadership mean to you specifically? I think leadership is being the same person. You know, every day and ultimately making sure that you're pushing others to be the best that they can be in whatever it is, whether it's in a relationship, parenthood, a team, um, coaching. I think when people look to leaders, they look to someone who inspires them to be the best they can and ultimately someone they can look to, um, to the good times, to the bad. Um, And that's what leadership means to me, just being, you know, a consistent person and being the person that people can look to when they need help. And where does that come from? I probably come from my mom. I grew up in a single parent household. Um, it's just my mom and I, and she always did everything and more to make sure there was a smile on my face, no matter what she had to go through, no matter what she had to do. And she always made sure that I knew, you know, what I had to accomplish and how I'll be able to accomplish my goals and dreams, whether she had to sacrifice, um, do extra or anything like that. And just watching her. Over the years growing up, I think that's where I get, you know, my leadership traits and a lot of my personalities and abilities from. So you uh, were voted and received the award, the CAA Chuck Boone Leadership and Excellence Award. How do you feel that you qualified for that? Does somebody have to nominate you or how does that work? I think it's a nomination from between, I think, between your academic advisors and then the school athletic directors i'm actually not sure of the entire process of how it works or how you're nominated um or anything like that i do know that i I did receive the award but i'm not sure too sure of how the process works i actually read somewhere that you had a very successful track career back in high school tell us about that what drew you to the sport and what you accomplished there i actually love track i mean i ran track uh, outside of football and indoor um, and outdoor track, I have a really good track coach named Craig Joseph. I think track, it's something that when you're in it, then you really enjoy it, you know, outside of the workout sometimes because it's pretty tough because you're just running, but it's enjoyment of being at the track needs, seeing other people run, seeing people from different places, traveling to meet as a team. Um, my personal best in the 100 was a 1079. I was a Catholic high school league champion. I did qualify for stage my senior year. I didn't go, actually. I um, went to prom um, instead. I also, at one point, we were on a 4 by 2 relay team, and we were U.S. number 8 at one point in time. 
to be honest, if I didn't play football, I probably would have ran track just because that's how much of a love I have for track. So obviously you've got that track background, and right now you're training for those 10-yard splits for those 40 times. Is it coming back to you? I mean, are you just are you getting back into the groove of things? You know, it definitely feels good, especially with the starts and the splits. And then um, Otto Bolden, um, four-time Olympian this year, coaching us up as well. Um, um, so a lot of the things are translating, like the old things from track are translating and just the coaching and little techniques to run fast and making sure our starts are good and we're using power, trying to beat the clock. So Otto Bolden, that guy was in the Olympics. Where are you training right now? I'm training at Test Football Academy. How do you like it? I mean, being out there in the cold, I know you guys are training indoors, but why didn't you uh, go somewhere to Florida or California or, or Arizona? I mean, I felt like Tess was the right place for me to be. A lot of guys would go there, whether they're uh, big school guys or small school guys, you know, produce results. Um, and I wasn't really interested in being, like, somewhere in California or Florida. kind of just wanted to be focused here. I mean, I'm used to the cold, but like you said, we're indoors. So, I mean, it's pretty much just driving 10 minutes over. Um, but, I mean, I love it here. I mean, it's a great group of guys, great staff. Um, and they're they're making sure we're doing you know everything we can to make sure we put it put the best performance together. Obviously, Lou already asked you a few questions about you know what you accomplished there at Villanova, and you accomplished a lot. Why did you choose uh, that place coming out of high school? Um, I think ultimately I felt like it was the best place for me, you know, football wise, and particularly for school wise. Um, I knew I wanted to major in nursing. Villanova was one of the schools that, you know, allowed me to do so. And it also fit, you know, with my football schedule. And I definitely just felt like, you know, going to NFL at the time, you know, that would be possible. Be able to, you know, pursue my aspirations for school as well. And it just ultimately was the best fit. Yeah, I feel like we're at the Texans press conference. There's a fire drill or something going on. <laughs> There's an alarm going off. Is that a, I think that's a, that's a sign from above, man. You went to Villanova, 2019, you were having like a breakout season. You know, you're six games in, you're averaging like eight yards a pop, over 700 yards, three touchdowns, and you tear your ACL. What did you learn about yourself, and are you all the way back? You can be really high. You know, things are obviously going really well. Uh, I think I was leading the country, like you said, I was averaging eight yards a carry, and then boom, like that, I tore my ACL. In life, you know, things happen. You know, sometimes you have really high highs and really low lows. Um, but it told me just to stay true to the process, um, stay humble. And um, ultimately, you know, now I feel great. I'm almost three years post-surgery. My knee feels good and I feel good. Um, but it definitely just taught me to don't ever get too high when you're really high, but don't ever get too low when you're really low either. You played at an FCS school. Every so often, you know, during the course of the year, you're going to play an FBS team and you go to this huge stadium. You guys play in Happy Valley, played at Penn State. I've been in that stadium a few times. It is massive and it's probably, you know, twice the size of what you're used to. What was that like when you get on a field with the guys that are, I guess, from the outside, the next level up as far as college football goes? But just the whole environment, what did that feel like? Yeah, I mean, we had actually, it went up the day before because um, we played on Saturday. We went up on a Friday just to see the field and see what the stadium looked like. And guys, you know, took photos and things like that. 
Um, and then actually being there on game day, the kickoff was actually pretty loud. You know, seeing some of the you know the stadium things pop up and seeing all the fans um, was pretty cool. But I mean, I really think like after like once the ball kicked off, it was pretty regular. And I mean, I don't know how pumped their fans were considering that we were a smaller school and. You know, sometimes bigger schools don't take smaller schools seriously. Um, so it wasn't as loud as we thought it would be, you know, all week. Um, it sounds kind of funny, but we were practicing with, like, these big leaf blowers, like, in our huddles, and they were really loud, and you really couldn't hear anything because we were anticipating not being able to hear. It actually wasn't really as bad as we expected it to be. And like I said, once the ball kicked off, it was pretty, you know, just back to playing football. So Villanova had another successful season this year, 10-3. and three during the regular season, how would you describe your senior year as a whole? Great. We accomplished a lot, and I thought, you know, we pushed the needle for our program, and that was our first, you know, conference championship um, in 10 years. So I thought that was great. It's funny because JMU, even though they're leaving, in previous years, I think it was in 2018 when Maine had won the conference or when they split it with JMU, teams hadn't directly played JMU. Um, so that was a big thing for us. In order to beat a champ, you got to beat the champ. Um, so being able to beat JMU is pretty cool. Um, beating Delaware because um, we had lost them in the spring. Getting a, a first round bye and getting a playoff win against Holy Cross, that was good as well. And obviously we lost to South Dakota State. But I thought the year went well. A lot of guys did well and performed. And I think the team was able to you know reap the benefits of the work that we had put in together. And we were able to just see it through. What happened in that quarterfinal playoff game against South Dakota State? You guys obviously fell short. I think, you know, offense, you know, we, we were moving the ball. We just didn't convert when we needed to. We were getting the ball across midfield, just couldn't convert. A couple, you know, short down situations. We got a couple, you know, silly penalties that, you know, pushed the change back. Um, and on defense, I mean, they, you know, started to run the ball really well. They, they're a good team. Um, they deserve to be there. Um, we kind of, you know, we didn't make plays we needed to be, and we lost the game. What would you say was your most memorable game as a Wildcat, just when you look back on your career? Most memorable game? This past year, playing JMU, we were up one from our own 29, and the kicker actually just missed two field goals, um, and it was fourth and one. So if we didn't convert... Um, they'd be in field goal range with the ability to win the game, and we handed the ball off. Um, and I got the first down, and probably one of my favorite football memories that I always, always have with me. What goes through your mind? Obviously, a lot of guys have to come through, especially the offensive line. On fourth and one, everybody knows that it's going to be either like a quarterback sneak or an HB dive. What goes through your mind on plays like that when you're, you know, everything is on the line at your own 29-yard line? Yeah, my head is actually funny because, like you said, I mean, the guys up front, like, I was really counting the whole line. Like, I was, in my head, I was like, as long as there aren't any run-throughs, I can get a yard. And that was just all I was thinking. Like, as long as there's no run-throughs, like, I can get a first down. Even if there is maybe, like, one, like, just get – you can get a yard. Like, but you have to jump, dive, crawl, or, like, whatever it is. Um, and I just think just get, just get a yard, um, and I did. How would you describe your relationship with your uh, former quarterback, Daniel Smith? I mean, how would you characterize him as a player and as a person? Uh, I think he's, he's a great guy. I mean, I think we're really close. I know he's he's down in Florida right now for a larger training, actually. But he, he's a great leader. Um, I think quarterbacks, you know, they have to be, you know, playmakers and, and guys 
that people can look to because ultimately, you know, they run the show whether they want to or not. And I think, you know, Dan, he's very, he's very composed. He's very intelligent. His football knowledge is great. And he's a great person. You know, even going back to 2019, you know, he's definitely one of the reasons, you know, why, you know, we as a team were able to do, to do so well. What would you say is your best quality on and off the field? Off the field, I'd probably say my best quality is probably that I care. I don't think I generally care about, you know, the guys on my team, the coaches and people around me. Um, and I think that transcends into different into different ways and, you know, how I am. Um, and on the field, I think I'd probably just say I'm just a playmaker. I think over the years in college, when you pull up the tape and the ball is in my hands, you know, I make plays when plays need to be made. Now, you've mentioned your, your major there, nursing, a few times. Now, in, in my experience, that's more of a calling, right? I mean, that's not just a, a job or a degree. How did you get interested in nursing? Um, So in seventh grade, my grandmother, she was diagnosed with colon cancer, um, and she came down to live with my mom and I. So I used to change my grandmother's um, colostomy bag and, and things like that, and she survived, and she's um, in the senior living apartments now um but that was kind of when i originally kind of got started in nursing and i was kind of thinking like when i was young maybe kind of a doctor kind of path but as i kind of grew into high school and talking to my mom i didn't want to be in school that long um and we kind of stumbled upon nursing and nurses you know are still able to get that nurse patient like bedside you know care for people and taking care of others and that's kind of how i got into it well, it's seventh grade to be able to do that. I mean, squeamish is not in your background, I would think, <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, you have to do what you got to do. And that, obviously that, that was a, a very cool thing that you did for your grandmother. You mentioned you've been training at Test. Anything else that, that you, like post-season, once the season ended, before you went to Test, what were you into? How were you training before you started going there? I took some time off, kind of just relaxed, and then I was training up by my house um actually in jersey at fast twitch um in new jersey for a little bit um and then kind of just doing stuff on my own uh, with my high school track coach just running keeping the heart going the going on the field doing like positional field stuff and kind of just staying fit waiting for training so you have not been involved in any all-star games have you spoken with any scouts regarding what their thoughts are on, on your game i haven't spoken to any scouts directly my agent um, has spoken to some scouts. And what kind of feedback have you gotten? Um, the general feedback that I've gotten is that a lot of teams are would like to see what I'm going to run in the 40. feel like I can really run well, catch out the backfield. I mean, special teams would be big for me, but I'm confident I can play special teams on whatever unit it is. Um, but my 40 would be pretty key is what kind of the general assumption outside of, you know, everything else in, the, in my control. So, Justin, all things being equal, what do you feel has to happen for you to stick on an NFL roster this coming summer and then into the fall, obviously, and into the season? I mean, I think ultimately on you know March 16th when my pro day is, I run as fast as I can, which I think I'm going to be, um, and, and move pretty well, uh, which I expect. As long as I can get an opportunity to get my foot in the door somewhere, I think I'll be able to make an impact on whatever it is, whether it's running the ball, whether it's running on kickoff, blocking on punt. I think ultimately just getting my foot in the door and going from there. 
Okay. Justin, we really appreciate you taking some time with us today. You have an opportunity here, if you'd like, give out your uh, social media handles and plug anything that you're involved in or really anybody you want to shout out. All my handles are the same, so it's just Jacob1 underscore. Only shout I probably want to give is just to my mom. Um, just want to say uh, I love you um, and I'm working hard. All right, folks, that's been Justin Covington in his own words. Uh, we'll be pulling for you here in the postseason here, Justin, and uh, hopefully we'll hear your name called during the draft. Thank you so much. All right, be good. All right, so we have more coaches being hired. Coming off of the, the floor is bombshell and so forth. I guess the question was, okay, we've got these teams left. There was four of them. Is there going to be pressure from the league to them to move towards minority candidates? I don't know that that's happened, but Lovey Smith got hired in Houston. We're, again, a kind of a surprise curveball, just like last year, and it's like deja vu all over again. Uh, Mike McDaniel classifies himself as biracial, so you know, was that a minority hire? Perhaps. Jacksonville goes with Doug Peterson, and Dennis Allen ends up you know, the incumbent. I think it was always his job to lose, even though Biennemi – it was reported, had an eight-hour interview with uh, the brass there in New Orleans, and they went with Allen. Not too many surprises here. I mean, it's the biggest surprise, I think, to me, again, was Lovey Smith at the 11th hour after the, the floor is bombshell. Was he really the guy they wanted and then was like, well, we're going to stay away from that? Peterson was originally interviewed by Jacksonville. He was, I think, one of the first guys they had in back in December, and they were waiting on Leftwich. Maybe Leftwich made the power play. Is it a bulky problem? Is it a Jacksonville problem? I mean, I don't know what happened there, but I think Doug Peterson was a good hire. But I don't know. Of those four, the last four, Alex, which one do you like the most? I like the Doug Peterson uh, hire. I felt like he would have been one of the best choices for anybody out there, and Jacksonville was able to walk away with it. I realized that Leftwich was in the conversation, but... They went with him, and I think he's going to do wonders for Trevor Lawrence because Peterson was successful with Carson Wentz there for a couple of years. And I just think him calling the plays, him developing his team, his coaching staff developing Trevor Lawrence, that's the best thing that could happen. I think Jacksonville is going to turn it around pretty quickly on the offensive side of the ball after they address you know, the offensive line and a couple of wide receivers. Lovey Smith is just out of left field, Lou. Uh, we talked about her off the year, but look, he was a successful defensive coordinator with the St. Louis Rams, and then he got the Bears job, and he led them to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman. That defense was always good for him, but I just never expected him to resurface again in the NFL. He went to Illinois. He wasn't really successful there. He wasn't a college guy, but I just think the Texans, that wasn't their first choice. I think Flores was, but they just couldn't pull the trigger after this whole thing that just occurred with Flores and that the lawsuits and stuff like that the Texans didn't want to go in that direction again because they just faced the Deshaun Watson saga for the entire season in 2021 so there was no way that they were going to go with another controversial type of hire but Lovey Smith is just way out of left field well he was their defensive coordinator last year but yeah another surprise because you know if you've got Cully sitting there you fire him and we talked about it. Was Flores the guy? Then all information coming out of Houston 
any insider or whatever, Josh McCown all of a sudden becomes their number one guy. I mean, it was almost like there was a coronation coming, but then the lawsuit, and so now is it an optics thing? This was just nuts, and uh, I made light of it while we're speaking to Justin and the fire alarm and so forth, but you know, at the press conference with Lovey Smith, they were asking Casario a question, and then in the building, the fire alarm goes off, and it's like, my God, if that isn't a sign to just run out of this dumpster fire, I don't know what is. So do they bring McCown on now as like an offensive coordinator or a quarterback's coach or something? Get him on the staff so that he can at least show some pro uh, experience and then hire him next year? or in two years, or whatever the heck the plan is. I don't know what their plan is, but the plan is no plan, and it's just frightening. And I feel bad for Lovey Smith, regardless of what we think about what his resume says or doesn't say. Again, he's put in a position to fail, and I don't know where this organization is going. So Mike McDaniel, though, just strikes me. He just comes off as kind of like this nerdy, goofy dude. A lot of the, the videos that, that made it onto Twitter, he's a funny dude. He makes me laugh, you know, with, with all these different things, the way he presents himself at the press conferences. But he's the only assistant among that entire group under Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, that was with him in Houston in Washington, in Atlanta, and also San Francisco. So I think there's something to that, that he really values this dude. I think it's going to come down to, is he able to command the room? Are the veterans going to follow him? Now, I don't think there's any question he's going to be able to call a good game. He's going to get the running game going. It's going to help Tua if they decide to stay with him. I don't know that he really has that presence in the locker room. But again, I don't know. This is just me from the outside looking in. I hope it works because, again, Miami is another one of these situations that just seems to be a revolving door. They don't know what they want. Every year it seems like the plan changes. I hope that works out. And then Dennis Allen, I don't know. Do you have any comments on him? Well, Dennis Allen was the same head coach that won like eight plus games in two years with the with the Raiders, right? He was brilliant as the defensive coordinator the last couple of years with the Saints. So knowing what we know about the Saints with Sean Payton walking away, the quarterback situation being a mess right now, I mean, the Saints organization had to calm the storm. They had to hire from within so they can at least keep that defense going because the offense might not be the same, especially with Kamara right now having some legal issues, you know, after the Pro Bowl. You don't know what's going to happen there. And I'm just saying that I don't think the offense without Sean Payton is going to be totally different. And if they trade somebody like Michael Thomas, that they're just going to go like a total rebuild. The Saints are going to be known for their defensive prowess, I think, coming up. And, and they had to keep, you know, Dennis Allen on staff, you know, give him a second chance out there. As far as Mike McDaniel, I just think he's a brilliant mind. I think he'll win press conferences weekly. He's entertaining. I mean, he seemed that way. I think he's going to stabilize a really unstable dolphin situation. And hopefully, hopefully, I'm not sure he can, but unlock the potential in, in Tua because that's going to be the biggest thing. That's the reason why they hired this offensive, you know, youngster, I would say. But I like the, the Sean McVay, LaFleur 
Kyle Shanahan tree. And it's almost like back in the day, Lou, when they were like tapping into the Green Bay tree, you know, the Andy Reid and John Gruden, you know, just kind of like those guys, you know, the younger assistants. And they were kind of pushing him. Now we're seeing that McVay, LaFleur, Shanahan type of offensive assistants getting jobs everywhere. Yeah, that was, you know, Holmgren's crew. And again, you look at those old pictures, just like, you know, pictures from that Houston staff or at the time, Washington Redskins staff. That's the other thing. We didn't talk about the commanders, but but uh, the Redskins staff, you look at those team photos or whatever and these young, fresh faces, and now they're all like, they're, they're head coaches in the NFL now. And it's like, wow, I mean, where did, where did the time go? But one thing that that I'm curious about and wanted to get your, your take on is one that they did spend, when I say they, the New Orleans Saints brass, spent a lot of time with Eric Bieniemy. His contract is up with the Chiefs. How much pride does he have, right? They didn't offer him the head coaching job. Would he have enough to swallow his pride if they offered it to him? Because I don't think Pete Carmichael is going to get that OC job. It doesn't look like, and its reports are, that he's not. EB, I think has to get out of Reed's shadow. At least, again, that's kind of the way it looks. Did Kafka get the Giants always see job? Yeah. Okay, yeah. they're going to so, keep EB, Lou. I'm sure he's well, going to go back. They may want him too, but I think in, for his own career, it just seems like as long as he stays with Reed, he's just going to have that as kind of, hey, it's all working because, because of Andy Reed and, and everybody else that they've had, you know, Peterson and Nagy and, and anybody else that they've been had in there as an offensive coordinator. Well, it's Pat Mahomes. Of course, the offense is going to be great. So he almost has to create some experience away from that Andrew Reed tree to kind of show everybody that, hey, I really am a good coach. I don't know. It's just kind of a, a feeling that I'm getting. I don't know if it's New Orleans or somewhere else, but I think that, again, he's probably going to have to swallow his pride and say, okay, I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to go somewhere else, prove to everybody that I can do this, and then you know let the chips fall where they may. Because I think, again, as long as he stays in Kansas City, unless they put some sort of coach in waiting on him. But I don't know that Andy Reid is going anywhere anytime soon. This is something to look out for. Not that I have any inside information or anything like that. This is just a thought that I had that perhaps that could be something. They got to know him. Obviously, they spent a, a half a day with him. I wanted to get your thoughts. You think that that's an idea? So 20 minutes into the show, and we've mentioned the Chiefs three times already from di- three yes. different platforms. And the Chiefs aren't even in the Super Bowl, Lou. I just want to break it to you, right? And they're not playing there, Lou. We keep riding That's this why... Chiefs wave, you know? Right. EB is going to stay because I want to work with Patrick Mahomes. I saw how Nagy got a head coaching job. I saw that Peterson got a head coaching job. Therefore, I can get a head coaching job. I don't want to go anywhere else because I have the best quarterback in the NFL. I don't want to work with anybody else. I feel good. I'm confident. And even if I never get a head coaching job, like EB might be thinking, I can be a very successful offensive coordinator. I'll always be in the playoffs. I have a chance to go to the Super Bowl a couple of more times. Hell no, I'm not leaving the Kansas City Chiefs. 
Okay, well, let's see if they offer him a new contract. Because I, you, know, you would you would have thought by now they would have said something. But anyway, uh, we're waiting on Kevin O'Connell to be uh, announced as the Minnesota Vikings' new coach once the Super Bowl is over. And that's basically it as far as coaches go. Let's bring in our fullback. Joining us now is the fullback for the Ball State Cardinals. He calls Middletown, Indiana home. Number eight. Cody Rudy. Cody, welcome to Pros Like Us, man. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. Got quite an interesting story here. We'll get right to it. You started out at Ball State as a walk-on. Describe life of a walk-on. Like when you first get there, what are you doing? What are you, what are you trying to show the coaches? How did that go? Um, yeah, when I first showed up to Ball State, um, like I said, I was a walk-on. I was a linebacker at the time. Didn't really know what to expect just kind of showed up and knew I had to, you know, impress somebody in some different way. Didn't really know what to expect. Uh, my first season really just holding bags. I was a practice dummy playing scout team, spent a lot of time in the weight room. From there, just started to impress a little bit some coaches and spark some interest throughout the weight room and off-season training. So eventually you showed enough to earn a scholarship. What were the emotions when it was announced or they told you, hey, you're on scholarship? Oh, I mean, I was beyond excited. You know, that was my goal, you know, coming to Ball State, um, really going anywhere because I didn't have any scholarship opportunities coming out of high school. So I knew that my best bet would be to walk on somewhere. And I redshirted a year, then I played for a whole year, and then I received a scholarship. It was definitely something, like like I mentioned, that I was really working towards. Very excited. Uh, it was a little emotional for me just because I'd been going through some stuff uh, that I'd thought kind of took the opportunity away from me for a little while but yeah I was beyond excited my family was excited and uh, it was just a goal that I set out to reach so who really let it flow who really lost it anybody not really uh, I mean my teammates were excited for me there's a video thing you know they had it recorded when they announced that I got a scholarship and I was sitting um, with right next to my roommates when it and you can see on the video I mean everybody just went nuts and it was a fun experience for me so you said you come in as a linebacker and right. you end up switching over to fullback. What was your initial reaction when they came to you and asked you to make the change? Originally, I wasn't too excited about it just because I wanted to be a linebacker. That was just known as a defensive guy. I kind of prided myself on my uh, the way I play the game with the physicality of play the game. But then they, you know, they asked me to move the fullback of what I thought about that and I just told the coaches I said whatever's going to get me on the field quicker I'm ready to do and that was moving to offense and which you know it turned out uh great for me I had a great career playing that position so I'm happy with the way it turned out well you meant the physicality I mean obviously just the way the game has evolved uh not a lot of offenses use a fullback anymore that was pretty unique but still I mean most of the position it is a, a physical position you're mostly blocking maybe you catch a few passes here and there overall what did that switch mean to your career what do you feel that did for you really I feel that that kind of showed everything that I can do athletically and on a football field going through high school I was just the big guy that hit really hard and coming into Ball State I was the big linebacker that was too slow and wasn't athletic enough. Well, then got moved to offense, started out, like you said, being just a physical player, hitting guys, hitting linebackers, blocking. Then it turned into catch the ball, too, and he can run a little bit. And it's, okay, he's kind of hard to tackle because he's a big guy and he's not slow. 
like I said, I think that really just um, it let me, me the ability to show my overall athleticism and all the different um, you know abilities that I have and you know, playing the game. Well, this is the time of year that everybody's talking about speed, especially, you know, getting ready for the draft. Have they timed you recently, or do you have any idea what kind of 40 you're going to run? Um, I have an idea of what I'd like to hit, but, like, I have, I can't tell you last time I've been timed in a 40. I'd be happy with anything in a 4.8. That would be a very realistic goal of mine, shooting for that area. All right, let's talk about 2020. Your team won the okay. MAC championship game mm-hmm. against Buffalo. Describe that magical year and when you won the the MAC championship and then you won the bowl game as well against San Jose State. Uh, that was a great year, mainly just because, you know, right when COVID started, backtracked a little bit to that year going into spring ball of 2020, you know, school got canceled, football got canceled, and everybody was sent home. So we were home from March until I think the end of June or start of July, somewhere around there. And then we came back, started getting ready for the season, then – we were like in day three of preseason camp in August and our season was canceled. And that was emotional because, you know, we were all seniors. We didn't know whether what we were going to do, if we were going to come back and play in the spring, we're going to wait till next fall. Some guys aren't going to come back because, you know, I mean, we're graduated and this was all everybody's, you know, my class, it was our fifth year, kind of had everything post school and post football planned out for you. So you didn't really know what to do. And then we got the opportunity, you know, the season came back on and we played a late season. It was a really exciting year because, um, like I said, we didn't know if we were going to play, when we were going to play. And then you kind of look back to my redshirt freshman year, you know, 2017, we went 2-10, and 10, lost every conference game that year. And then as the years went on, gradually got better, but finally achieved that overall goal of winning a MAC championship, winning a first bowl game in school and program history. So it was very exciting for our team, for our school, for our community, our families. Um, that was the biggest disappointing thing was our families weren't able to be at those games to watch us. You know, we played at Ford Field in Detroit that seated, I don't know, probably close to 100,000 people, and there was nobody in the stands watching. It was just a great year, and like I said, it was a great goal that we finally accomplished. How about the bowl game this year? What do you remember the most about the, the game when you faced uh, Georgia State? I mean, it was a great experience. It was cool because uh, the year before in Arizona, we didn't get a uh, full bowl experience. We were only there for two days. Where as this year, you know, we went down to Alabama to play Georgia State. We got a full weekend and got to do all the different uh, bowl game activities. Um, the game itself wasn't the greatest on our end. We uh, lost a lot of players to injury right before that game. We had a lot of guys that got because of COVID, so we were playing – not with our starters on both sides of the ball. So that kind of hurt us. But, you know, it was just a fun experience to get to do that. Like I said, the game didn't go the way that we anticipated it. It was just a great experience to get that full bowl game. What will you miss the most about Ball State when you look back at your experience? The thing I'm going to miss the most is um, my teammates. I mean, I've made lifelong friends. Some, I mean, all my best friends are guys I've played with at Ball State. Guys that are best friends with that are two years older than me, some that are two years younger than me, and some that are my age. Um, it's kind of hard for me to narrow down, you know, my top guys just because I've met so many great guys over there. kind of already miss it. I don't get to see those guys every day like I have the last six years of my life, whether it's in the weight room, in the classroom, um, whether we're roommates, that kind of thing. You just kind of get used to seeing these different guys all the time and um, spending, you know, time with them, doing whatever it is, and 
and that's already gone. So I think that's the thing that I'll miss the most. Cody, you were awarded the Willie Sneed True Cardinal Award. What is that award for our listeners that aren't aware of it? So Willie Sneed has a great career going on in the NFL right now. He graduated from Ball State. Really, that award just kind of it awards a player who incorporates everything into his career, I guess you'd say, um, whether it be on the field, off the field, in the classroom, life after football. I've you know I've always had a job throughout college. So that's something I've always worked towards. You know, I was awarded that award right before the 2021 season. You know, that was a good honor to have. Anything that's named Willie Sneed at Ball State holds a lot of power. So it was nice to have my name on that list. What do you think were some of the, I guess, specific things that you brought to the school, to the program that, you know, put you in that class to be able to win that? I would say the biggest thing for me was I was just always a really hard worker. I kind of brought, I brought the same attitude every day. I brought the same effort every day. One thing that I did differently than most student athletes is I didn't just go to class and just go to practice. Um, you know, I was a walk-on for two years, so I wasn't getting any financial assistance whatsoever. I had to work outside of football and outside of school, um, which was kind of difficult. I had a pretty busy schedule going on. And then once I was awarded that scholarship, I just kind of continued. I always had a job, continued to work throughout my college time. You know, the coaches obviously knew that. So I like to say that them knowing that and knowing the effort that I still brought every day and that it didn't, you know, take anything away from my performance on the field um, be something that put me in that category. All right. You talked about how you switched from linebacker to fullback. What do you enjoy most about playing the, the fullback position? Like when you're out there, you like catching the ball or running the ball or you just really enjoy just you know blocking for your running back or your quarterback i'd be lying if i didn't say catching or you know anytime i have the ball in my hands i get kind of excited <laughs> just because never been a guy that um ever really got the ball I was, you know i've always been growing up i was always an offensive lineman all the way up until i got moved to pass to play fullback at ball state uh, so anytime i got the ball it was pretty exciting for me anyways one thing I really take it in is just, as I mentioned earlier, just the physicality I like to play with. I take pride in being the most physical guy on the field. So anytime I get the chance to put a shot on somebody or make good contact, I mean, that's something I really look forward to, really try to focus on and win those one-on-one battles. Now, Cody, you've been through some adversity in your young life. How has your late Aunt Joey inspired you to achieve? I mean, she was someone that I was always pretty close with. Someone, uh, she accomplished a lot in her life uh, just because of her effort and because of her attitude. And that's kind of, you know, something I've always translated over to what I do. I mean, obviously we did two different things. Um, It was kind of the same thing. You know, effort and attitude can take you a long way um, and bring you a lot of great success. And that's, you know, something that I took from her that I try to incorporate in my life every day. And what would you say about I guess about her career and kind of stepping outside of just, I guess, accepting being from a small town and I'll never make it in any, you know, in anything big. And she went on to some great things. Explain a little bit about that to our listeners. I'd say the biggest thing is I see it kind of on the internet and all this every now and then just the saying it doesn't matter where you play, it's how you play. It doesn't matter where you perform it's how you perform. I think people, you know, really do look for great talent and whatever it is, whether it's football, whether it's singing, whether it's job opportunity, it's, you know, it's not really a matter of where you come from or 
um, how you got there. It's just kind of how you uh, take advantage of the opportunities that you're given. Said so that's something that she did in her life, and that's something that I try to do in my life and everything I do, not just football. Um, is just take advantage of the opportunities that you're given because, I mean, everything starts with an opportunity, in my opinion. You're never just going to get something handed to you. you got to use that opportunity to take it. Earlier in your career, there, there was an incident at school or near campus where you actually you got shot. What did that teach you? <laughs> Not to be a stupid young kid is the biggest thing it taught me. <laughs> but on a serious note, it taught me to uh, – not take life for granted because you're never promised tomorrow. Um, yeah, I was, you know, I was involved in an accident, stupid accident, should have never happened, should have been avoided. There was, you know, a split second in my life where I thought my life was going to end, um, and it changed my perspective on a lot of things. There's a hundred different things I could say about that, but the biggest thing is, you know, life is not promised to you, so you can never take it for granted. Okay, and you grew up on a farm, and it seems like from what I was able to gather, whether it was video or, or reading some things, that you really, really enjoy it. What is it about farming that, that you enjoy so much? And I guess furthermore, how do you take that to the football field? My entire family farms, my dad, my grandpa, my uncle, my great-grandparents farm, like it's just always been a family thing. Um, so I've always just grown up seeing role models in my life, do what they do. Um, and, you know, I've grown up doing that, so it's just kind of part of me. It's not the easiest occupation, and it's not the most rewarding occupation, um, but it's just it's something that you take pride in. It's something that builds toughness. Um, I mean, there's been, you know, many late nights. I currently I moved in last summer into a uh, house out on the farm, which is not far from Ball State, so I commuted from my house. Once practice was over, I'd come back, and during harvest, I mean, I would be in a tractor at Combine till 9, 10 o'clock at night and do it all over again the next day. Um, so it's something that I love to do, something I've always loved to do, something I really take pride in. So outside, I guess, of the, the sheer work ethic piece of it, any skills that transfer that have helped you play the game at a better or higher level? I would just say the mental aspect of it. I mean, like you said, the work ethic that comes with it and also the just the mental and physical toughness that comes with it. You know, they kind of relate farming and football. And when you look at those um, different points, I, I can see the relation between them. Um, I'd say that those are the biggest things. Now, the College Gridiron Showcase, you were a part of that. Uh, how did that experience help you? Oh, it was a great experience. Got to be around a lot of great players from all over the country. You know, it was really cool. It was really um, eye-opening for me because I was playing with guys from different uh, conferences, different leagues all over the place. Got to see a lot of great talent. Got to play with and against a lot of great talent. It was nice for me to be able to go there and compete and realize that, you know, I'm not just good for Ball State or just the Mid-American Conferences. You know, I can compete with – better players and better league and be a guy that has the potential to stand out. What did you find out about the NFL? Because I know that they have a lot of meetings. They give you a lot of feedback, like agents, you know, former players, coaches that have been in the league. What did you learn about the NFL? I mean, it's a competitive business, really. I mean, that's the way to look at it. You know, the more I've looked into it, the more I've gotten, it's a business and, they take their stuff very seriously. They know everything about every individual. They 
guys already did found everything about me before we even talked on the phone you know they know more than what you think it's a legit business anybody you know that wants to pursue that you got to take it very seriously because they take it very seriously as well what type of feedback did you receive from scouts at that event i never got called in to talk with any scouts i don't know if it was because maybe i was a late add-in they didn't you know anticipate me coming or anything um I like to say we had a scrimmage on the last day. Personally, I feel like I performed very well at a high level. Had a few touchdowns playing running back. Had some few good blocks, some big hits. Felt good about it. So I'd like to say someone would have grabbed me after that scrimmage, but we headed straight to the airport after that was done. It was a good experience for me. So what's next, Cody? You Obviously, you did the, the showcase. Where are you training? What are the next steps? So right now, I'm... Um, Living just outside of Muncie still, out on the farm, working out in, at Ball State uh, with my strength coach, just training for a pro day, getting ready for that, working a part-time job, just, you know, give myself a little bit of money. That's about it. do that all the time. I'm getting married this April, so I'm going through all of that stuff with my fiance. You got a lot of big things coming up for me in the next couple months, some exciting things. So to get married in April, pro day, week before that draft after the wedding so we'll see what happens i'm pretty excited about everything though well congratulations on the engagement that's uh always ex always exciting and can be some anxious times but uh my advice would be is just kind of go along <laughs> nod say yes a lot smile and do whatever <laughs> fiance says she wants to do that's what that's what everybody keeps telling me go ahead and shout out your uh social media handles anything else that you're working on or anybody you want to kind of give some credit here First of all, I just give all my credit to all my coaches at Ball State. All the, you know, Coach News done a great job preparing not only me, but my entire class and my team for guys that have that, that desire to play at the next level. Um, and all those coaches do a great job. I mean, you can find me on social media, Cody Rudy, C O D Y R U D Y. Um, probably got the most simplest name out there. Other than that, I'm just, I'm excited, anxious, ready to get there, ready to, you know, perform at Pro Day ready to get to draft day, ready to find my way onto a uh, – get myself into a mini rookie camp and eventually on a team roster. Don't really care where it's at. Just want the opportunity to play. Well, it sounds like you've worked for everything in your life, and I don't – I'm firmly convinced that you will not be outworked in this uh, process. So uh, keep doing what you're doing, Cody. We love the story. Uh, good luck the rest of the way, and uh, thanks for being on. Awesome. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks again to Cody Rudy. Interesting story. Just uh, a lot of human interest there. We're pulling for him. So good luck, Cody, the rest of the way. It's time to pick the final game. We've got the Rams right now as a four-and-a-half-point favorite. 48-and-a-half is the over-under. There's so many different props out there. We won't go through all of them. That might take a few hours. But uh, I don't know. As far as picking the game, I mean, just the, the game winner. Let's look at that first, and then maybe we'll throw the spread as well. All right, so I think that the Los Angeles Rams will walk away with the Super Bowl. You know, just having the home crowd, McVay, I mean, this is what he wanted, Stafford being there. I just think the Bengals have had a great season, a great run. They've overachieved. Nobody thought that they would be in the playoffs, and they're here in the Super Bowl. I don't think they have it in them to pull off another upset. I'm going with the Rams to win the game, but I think it's going to be close. 
I think the Bengals will cover, and I'm taking the plus four and a half there. I got to believe here that the Rams are the side in this one because of everything that we talked about earlier. The defensive front, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously that is going to be the game in the trenches and specifically Cincinnati's weakness versus the Rams' strength. How long can they hold up? They don't have to hold up the whole game, but they got to give Burrow enough time to make enough plays. I don't know that that's going to happen, so I'm going to go with the Rams. They brought in all these stars. The stars are doing exactly what they expected them to do. They have the entire playoffs, and I don't see them stopping now. So uh, I'm going to go with Stafford. I'm hard-pressed to give the points. I really am thinking it's going to be a close game because it seems like every playoff game this year has been a close game. So for that reason and that reason alone, I will take the points, but i got to believe the Rams win this game. So you and I agree. We agree on the winner, but we're also taking the points. Yeah, again, I mean, just looking at all these playoff games, even the ones that seem to have been, that got away from certain teams, it always came back close. I mean, the two championship games where it looked like, okay, these games are going to be convincing wins, turned out that they were very close at the end. So I'm thinking the same thing here. That just seems to be the trend this whole playoffs. So we'll stick with it and Rams, but we'll take the points. Rams maybe by a field goal, and that'll that'll be that. And Matt Gay will show us that he can kick a 47-yard field goal indoors without any wind. So it's going to be ironic if Evan McPherson misses a field goal at the end of the game. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he just he's like the the Joe Burrow of kickers. I mean, he just seems so confident. And but the thing is, he's made every big kick. Some ridiculous. Uh, points you know total points for a rookie I mean it's just been it's just been amazing his whole season and it kind of mirrors the Bengals so here we are for Alex I'm Lou on the way out Peace.